that we uh, just read a little while ago and talk about the church of Smyrna this morning. And we've entitled this sermon, The Overcomers, because what you see in the church of Smyrna and what Jesus has to say to that church is a little bit different than what uh, we're familiar with when it comes to being an encourager. Isn't it true that sometimes we like to hear that something is only going to last for a short period of time? The trials that you're going through, the difficulties that you're going through. I appreciate those people who say things to us like, you know what, this is going to pass. Don't worry about it, you're going to get through it. But what Jesus said to the church of Smyrna was, you're going to overcome what is coming. You've got more trouble coming. That's not the kind of news that we like to hear, although they were indeed overcomers and did overcome. So uh, as we get into this, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you. We are grateful for the opportunity you've given us to gather in your house. And Lord, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for these that were baptized today, Lord, and uh, some I've heard of that were saved just this past week. God, we thank you for what you're doing uh, here at East Point, God, through your people. And we ask now, Lord, that the work of the Holy Spirit be powerful and personal. We pray, God, that you would be our teacher that you would be our counselor, our guide. Lord, when I read a passage like this, I have to believe that a lot of your people may be going through difficulties and trials. And there's a message here, Lord, for all of us that we can, through Jesus, overcome. And I pray, Lord, we would absorb that and grasp that today, that we would be like those you said for us to be, that we who have ears to hear would hear what you have to say to this church. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, as we uh, approach this subject, we are in a series known as Coming Soon, and uh, there is some more popcorn for you today, by the way. Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, we're using a bit of a, a movie uh, theme there for that. Again, we're talking about Smyrna. Why don't you take a look at this guy? Uh, there are all kinds of overcomers in the world. Uh, if you don't have a pool this summer, you might be able to overcome this the way this guy has done it. Uh, turned his uh, trash can into a personal jacuzzi. And uh, if, you, uh, if you ever find yourself uh, laying out by the pool or maybe at the beach and you can't quite figure out how do you get rays on your back at the same time, if you get thirsty, how do you get your drink? Well, this guy shows us a little bit of innovation. Um, he's run a straw through his lounge chair. <laughs> Thank God for overcomers and innovators, amen? Well, uh, then there is always the thought, particularly young people, have you ever been so tired? I mean, you're just tired. You got to lay down, and, but you got to check your text messages and your Twitter fans and your social media stuff. This guy here, he shows us how to do that, uh, if we can get this thing to work. <laughs> just put a glass table over you, and that's pretty good. Some of you are writing that down, aren't you? I can tell innovators, overcomers. And then last of all, guys, if you're doing yard work and your blower goes out on you, you might want to just consider. Uh, if you get an oscillating fan, you don't have to move as much. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. All right, we're going to talk about the church at Smyrna now. And Jesus introduces himself in an interesting way in this text. We read it earlier, but let me reiterate it. He said he is the first and the last, he who was dead and came to life. There's a reason why I believe he introduces himself that way, because he is the conqueror of sin and death. Amen? Amen. 
So no matter what you get yourself into, you can understand that through Jesus, we too can be overcomers. So I think he's encouraging them by that. This is actually a phrase that is mentioned in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah contains it a couple of times. I'll read to you from Isaiah 48, verses 12 and 13. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. They stand up together. The, the church in Smyrna, which by the way, Smyrna is modern day Izmir. I may not be pronouncing that correctly, but it's in western Turkey on the Aegean Sea. It's a coastal town. At one time, it is thought that the population of this place was around a half a million people. That's a pretty good sized city. Matter of fact, there's a theater there that they've uncovered that in ancient Smyrna they could seat over 20,000 people. So it was a, a well-known, very successful city. The name Smyrna actually is uh, a derivative of the term myrrh. And most of us understand myrrh as the spice, one of those gifts that was brought to Jesus as a child by the wise men. It was used for burial. It was also used for perfumes. It was used in a variety of ways. It was even used for health. You could ingest it uh, certain ways that would allow you uh, to uh, be healthier. And so uh, myrrh is where the name Smyrna actually comes from. Now this church, as we said earlier, is a representation of the church age, a period of the church that great persecution would come. And so this becomes an important thought for us that uh, when we think about persecution of the church, we may not realize that we actually do deal with this today, not just in foreign countries when we hear about people being arrested because they have a faith in Jesus and they are proclaiming that faith, but even here in the United States we run into this. And we're going to talk more about that as we make our way through this. But for the sake of our, our study today, here's what I'd like to do with you. I'd like to point out to you four areas that we can be overcomers in through Jesus Christ. And they're all actually in this text. And as we look at it, they'll unfold. The first one we want to mention to you is we can overcome distress. Now by the term distress, we're talking about trials and tribulation in our life, difficulties in our life, trials of our faith. I've said this before, and uh, many of you uh, that have been here, you've heard it before, so forgive me for reiterating it, but there may be others here that, that have not heard it. And so let me take a moment and say this to you, that not every trial that you encounter is a trial of your faith. We read in the Word of God about these trials of our faith. It is not a trial of your faith unless there are certain characteristics of the trial. For instance, it will come in manifold ways. It will be there in a variety. It will not be one area. It will be multiple areas. That's one of the ways you recognize it's a trial of your faith and not just a simple trial or a test that you're going through. Another indicator is it does require faith, meaning you will not have a solution to the problem. We're not talking about a financial matter that you can reach over and drain your 401k and solve. We're not talking about something that you can handle if you use resources that you have even though you didn't want to use those resources. We're talking about a trial in your life that has no answer, no logistical way to solve that problem. Now you have to involve faith. Faith. They are difficult times in our life and they are beyond most 
of the trials that we deal with. If you have dealt with them, your faith has become stronger, no doubt, as a result of it. You find people who have encountered trials of their faith and some who have encountered them repeatedly in their life. And it just seems to me as an observer of, of mankind and as a pastor, there are some people who just seem to be uh, dealing with more of these than other people are. And they have this great faith that develops as a result of these trials in their life. But all of us will be tested. May I say to you that part of development is to be tested. Remember those days in school? We've got some seniors that have just graduated. Congratulations to all of them. Isn't that awesome? And uh, yeah, they, uh, yeah, give them a round of applause. Go ahead. They're, they've done a great job. For many of them, their education has not ended there. They're going to go on to college and then a master's and a doctorate. Am I right? That's, yeah, okay. And I know they're thinking about all of that right now. I just ran into one of our young men out in the hallway and I asked him, I said, hey, what are you going to do for the summer? He said, well, you know, I don't, really don't know. I said, sleep in? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so uh, that's always something to look forward to in the summer. But, but what I'm getting at is there are all kinds of, of things that happen in our life and, and you can't get through school without going through times of testing. You, you've got to, you learn, you repeat, you learn, you repeat, and somebody tests your knowledge to see if you can get on to the next grade so you can go on to the next area. And that is the way it is in our Christian development as well. God works on us and works on us. Now, I do admit that some of us are a little harder headed than others. I, uh, and, and it takes us a while to pass. You know what I'm saying? Some of us are dealing with the same problems we dealt with years ago because we didn't trust God in those areas yet. And so those tests come. It's an interesting passage of scripture. We read it, but we almost uh, did it without realizing what it says. So look at verse 10 with me for a moment in our text. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. It appears that the only reason they're being tested is because they're being tested. It's not because of sin in their life. It's not because of other... Listen, it's just a part of growing as a believer. We're going to go through trials in our life. So the way we deal with those trials and the way we trust or do not trust has a lot to do with whether or not we overcome those trials and those times of distress in our life. We think about this, we uh, read in John Gill's commentary. John Gill uh, was one of the uh, preachers before Charles Spurgeon many, many years ago there in London and he writes this concerning this. He said, Smyrna signifies myrrh, which being, a bitter, which being bitter of taste is expressive of the bitter afflictions and persecutions and deaths the people of God in this interval endured. And yet as myrrh is of a sweet smell, so were those saints in their sufferings for Christ exceeding grateful and well-pleasing to him. So just like myrrh yields this sweet aroma, so should the trials in our life. It should bring about this sweetness among the people of God. A sweet savor before God. Peter said it this way, and I got to admit to you, it's a little bit hard for us to understand some of what Peter said and some of what Paul said when they talked about rejoicing in trials of our faith. Would you agree with me on that? 
let's just be honest and let's be real, man. It's difficult to say, I rejoice in the trials that will bring them on. No, we don't particularly look, look at it that way. We're busy praying our way out of those trials. God, can you get me out of this valley? That sure would be a blessing. And, and yet sometimes those valleys are, are intended for a, a specific purpose and we have to go, here's the key word, through them. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 verses 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ or the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now most of us are familiar with the refining of metals, precious metals. Most of us understand that gold is put into the fire, silver is put into the fire, and the dross, the impurities, are burned off. And yet most of us, even though we understand that about gold, what comes forth is something that's more valuable than what went in. Can I get an uh uh-huh? We understand that about precious metals, but we don't necessarily comprehend it and grasp it concerning our own life, that what God is doing is he's bringing forth a vessel that is of greater use and greater value to his kingdom and his work than what went into the fire. So through Christ, we overcome. It's interesting in this text, he refers to their poverty. Notice this statement, verse 9. I know your works tribulation and poverty. Now let me give you a little bit of encouragement here. You are not in a trial that God is unaware of. You can never be in a trial that he is unaware of. You will never enter into the the difficult, distressing times of your life without his being fully aware. He said, I know you're there. Now maybe nobody else knows you're there. Maybe you've kept it a secret from a lot of people. Maybe nobody else has any clue, but God knows, and he establishes he knows. And then he goes on and he says, I know your poverty. And then he makes an interesting statement, but you are rich. Immediately when I read this, I thought about the seventh church on the list. This is the second church. Ephesus was our first that we studied. This particular church is only about 35 miles away from Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was the church that Jesus said, you've done a lot of things really good, but one thing I have against you, and that is you've left your first love. What's interesting about Smyrna and what's interesting about Philadelphia, they are the only two churches he has nothing negative to say about. Jesus never says a negative word about Smyrna. He encourages them, although it's not necessarily the kind of encouragement we like to hear. As a matter of fact, we'll study in a little bit how that he actually says to them, there's more coming. We don't particularly care for that. There's more trouble coming, but you can overcome. And so when we look at this, I I think about how it contrasts with the seventh church in the list, Laodicea. Do you remember what he said about Laodicea? I'll read it to you. It's in chapter 3, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So in contrast, he says to the church of Smyrna, you guys have a poverty. You're going through difficulties. You're struggling. You are poor, but you are rich. 
He says to Laodicea, you think you're rich? You think you're wealthy? You think you got, yet you are poor. What is he talking about? He's describing the faith of these people. It is greater, it is better for us to be rich in faith than to have all of the richness, riches that material possessions can bring. And here he emphasizes this. And the question becomes, why were they poor? When you study the early church in the book of Acts, for instance, you find that, that as Christians, many times, they would endure persecutions and their things would be taken from them. Literally confiscated. If they were in business and they were a Christian, they were ostracized. They were isolated. People said to one another, don't do business with them because they are Christians. You don't want to do business with them. So their businesses would go under. Now, if you think this was only relegated to the early church, if you think this was only applicable to them, I'll remind you that back in 2013 in the state of Oregon, there was a little family bakery owned by Aaron and Melissa Klein. They refused to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. As a result of that, the state of Oregon fined them, garnished their bank accounts to the tune of $135,000. As a result of it, they had to close down their bakery. He went to work as a, uh, a man, as a trash collector, hurt his back, ended up on disability, and just last December, 2017, they appealed it took it to, a, to an appeals court. The appeals court ruled in the favor of the same-sex uh, same couple and they had to pay $135,000 to that couple. So tell me that if you take a stand for Christ, it does not result somehow in you being persecuted in the world we live in. I'm telling you it's going to cost you Young people, hear me. You take a stand for Christ, it's going to cost you. Maybe some of your friends are going to forsake you. Maybe some others. I'm telling you, but it is better to be rich in your faith and relationship with God than it is to be rich in all of the other ways Amen. that are offered to us. So we are reminded of this in James chapter 2 and verse number 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Now, moving on in our study, we have a second thing that we can overcome, and that is we can overcome through Jesus' discord. Now, there's an interesting phrase mentioned here. And that phrase is found in verse number 9, right after where we just read, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now those are very strong words. But you have to understand what's happening in Smyrna to understand what is meant here. May I refresh your memory please, in that many, many Christians were first involved in Judaism. As a matter of fact, you could go over to the book of Acts and you could find that probably this church that we're reading about in Smyrna and perhaps Ephesus also probably started out as a group of people who gathered in the synagogues and Paul the apostle would enter in where there was already a gathering 
already there to study what the Word of God had to say, and Paul would expound on the Word of God and teach him about Jesus, and people were getting saved. So their, their ministry was to go into the synagogue. We read of it in Acts chapter 19 and beginning in verse number 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, this, this was my, well, Luke said it. Luke's the one that recorded it. But, but this was the, the strategy. The strategy was, since Paul had been trained in the law, and since Paul, the scriptures had been illuminated to him by Jesus Christ in the desert of Arabia, he had the ability to take the Old Testament, tie it in with the New Testament, and preach Jesus. So what he would do is, he'd go into the synagogue where the people were, they would read the law, and Paul would say, now let me tell you what that meant. His name is Jesus. That one that was crucified. And so he would expound to them what ended up being called in the early stages, the way. It was the Christian way. It was Jesus as the only way, the truth, and the life. And through him, nobody could get to the Father. Or without, without him, nobody could get to the Father. And so what we have here is, that was their strategy, that was their practice, that was their plan. And then we read that some of the people had a hard time with that, and some of them began to ostracize them. And one particular synagogue is being referred to here, not all Jewish synagogues, one particular group of people who began to, to blaspheme them. And the word blaspheme that's translated here literally means that they began to, to uh, uh, disdain them and slander them and speak evil concerning them. And this, of course, no doubt began to lead to further problems in their economic state, but it was also verbal abuse that took place. I want to ask you a question. You know, we have many fears in our life. Some say that the number one fear is public speaking. The number two fear uh, is that of death. And somebody said it's interesting that uh, more people are afraid of speaking at a funeral than being the one who is being buried, but... <laughs> Uh, it is true. And somewhere in the midst of the, the high-ranking uh, fears that we have is the fear of rejection. And this is one of the reasons why many people do not witness as much as we should. We feel led to, but we fear somehow the rejection. And it's good for us to stop a moment and remember what Jesus did for us. It's good to remember that how he boldly uh, was crucified on the cross of Calvary and he was never ashamed of us. It is good for us to read about people like the Apostle Paul who said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's good for us to read books like the Fox's Book of Martyrs that talk about those, those believers who were being persecuted during the age that Smyrna represents. It's good for us to read how they took a stand for the cause of Christ and did not care of the consequences of being rejected by other people but discord is difficult for us handling discord overcoming it is difficult Satan is at the very root of discord and division and we have to remember that as a church and as Christians we need to understand he, uh, God does not want his people to have divisions among his people he doesn't want that and yet the devil thrives on it he loves it 
He loves to cause trouble. Man, and you've got to be wise enough to see it. Go to God in prayer. Many times that's the only thing we can do is pray that God will handle that matter. Paul talked about when he wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, he talked about how uh, they were carnal. He wanted to speak unto them as though they were spiritual, but he could not because they were still of the flesh. They were immature spiritually. And because of that, he had to speak unto them as though they were immature. And then he went on to say, are you not immature because there are divisions among you envyings and strife it's one of the indicators of spiritual immaturity when we can't get along with each other can I get an amen or an uh uh-huh I didn't mean you personally I meant other people (laughs) discord revelation chapter 12 beginning in verse number 9 So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they, and they did not love their lives to the death. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the Bible tells us that this particular synagogue and what they were saying and what they were doing and what they were trying to do in the slander and the accusations and the divisiveness, all of that, it is attributed as having been by the root and work of Satan himself. Let us be mindful of that thought and how that through Jesus we can overcome even discord. There is another area I want you to see with me, and that is we can overcome doubts. Doubts. Fears. We read that verse earlier, but let me read the first part of it again to you. Verse number 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Have you ever, uh, have you ever been to the doctor, and the doctor said to you, listen, It's going to get a little worse. (coughs) On a personal note, that just happened to me. I'll share it with you a little later on. But on a personal note, and I got to tell you, I wasn't too encouraged. I I looked at him and said, well, you really got the gift of encouragement, don't you? (laughs) Amen? It's going to get worse. Well, let me share something with you. Sometimes it does get worse. Sometimes it doesn't get better. And that's hard for us to comprehend and understand. Because is it not true that, first of all, we're a little bit shocked that we have any trials to begin with? We think when we got saved, we got that get-out-of-trials-free card. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have to do... Listen, if you tithe, you're not supposed to have financial trouble. If you, if, you, uh, if you serve the Lord, you're not supposed to have health issues. If you do things for God, I mean, isn't it true that we're sometimes shocked by the things that happen in our life? And yet here's the Apostle Paul... Who, who has this thorn in the flesh we read of 
We're not even sure what it was. Some people think it was epilepsy. Some think it was a a problem with his eyes. Uh, He was going blind. Others believe that the literal interpretation of the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. Literally, it was a spiritual war that resulted in physical pain that some messenger of the devil did nothing but beat up on him night and day. He had unexplainable pain and discomfort. So here is a guy who on one occasion, remember he was preaching so long, kind of like I did last week. I didn't know I did that until I was done. Somebody told me. But anyway, um, I apologize. I'm trying to watch that, so I'll go on. Anyway, Paul was preaching a long time, and the young man fell out of the window. Remember, his name was Eutychus, and you've heard this before, but, but you know, don't find fault with him because Eutychus too if you fell out the window, right? <laughs> he died man he fell out of the window that's why you shouldn't go to sleep in church amen (laughs) just saying it's it's dangerous Paul goes down and he raises him from the dead apostolic gift he has he's an apostle of Jesus Christ he goes down and he raises him from the dead here is a man that could raise the dead but he couldn't get rid of what he was dealing with So he went to God. Here's a man who had great prayer power with God. I believe that, don't you? He said, I pray always. I I think this guy knew how to pray. Man, I'm so encouraged that you guys pray for me. I'm so encouraged by people who say, hey, let let us pray for you. Let us know what's happening. Because you people know how to pray. East Point people know how to pray. And I think, but I'm going to tell you, Paul would have been right in there with us, man. He knows how to pray. And here he was, a man had all this power with God, and yet he could not do anything about what he was dealing with. The Bible tells us he asked God three times to remove it. 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, he says, oh man, here we go again. Peter said it. Uh, We gladly rejoice. Now Paul is saying it. We gladly rejoice. We got to get to that place. Maybe you're already there and I'm not. I don't know. Say, what are you getting now? I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, he said, I most gladly, uh, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. What does he mean? When I can't do it, he does. When I realize I can't, I lean on him and he can. So there is no need to fear. There's no need to worry. Worrying about it is not going to handle it at all. I I read this statement. I don't know who originally said it, but it's a great statement. So bear with me as I quote it to you. It is unnatural to worry. They went on to say this. In all of God's creation, 
only people don't trust God. The birds don't worry. The animals, they're not worried. People worry. It's unnatural, they said. A pastor by the name of Bosworth made this statement. He is noted as being a great faith preacher. He said, most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day, their spirits only one cold snack a week, and they wonder why, they're weak, why their faith is so weak. One cold snack a week. Feed your faith, someone said, and your doubts will starve to death. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. So through Jesus, this church, East Point, that church, Smyrna, every believer, we can overcome doubts through Jesus. Here the message was, uh, guys, it's going to get worse. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. <laughs> There's more coming. And when it comes, don't fear it. When it comes, it's going to be okay. It's part of the plan. It's going to happen. Matter of fact, the devil's going to throw some of you into prison. As a matter of fact, some of you are going to have tribulation for a lengthy period of time. And, but, but do this. Be faithful until death. Well, now wait a minute. Can we reword that somehow? Can we think about this just a minute? How about be faithful till you deliver us? Huh? But our hope is in Christ. This is not our home. We forget that. We forget that. So let me deal with the very last point with you. Through Christ we can overcome death. There's a very interesting phrase used here by our Lord. I want you to see it. Verse number 11 again. If you're there, say I'm there. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Earlier, just before that, he said, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are five crowns mentioned in the Word of God. They're not going to come up on the PowerPoint for you on the board, but I'll give them to you. Many of you are familiar with them anyway. The crown of life is given to those who suffer. We've had people in our church who have suffered greatly. God has called them home, and they're suffering no more. And there they will one day receive, I believe this, crown of life. Some of you might be in that category. Some of you feel like, man, what in the world is happening in my life? God is getting great glory out of the way you're handling some of the difficulties that you're facing. You're a light that shines bright for him, even though you might choose, like Paul did, to pray and pray and pray, God, deliver me out of this, get me out of this. And God may say, no, no, you don't understand. I'm getting, I'm getting some, some glory out of the way you're doing this and you're handling this, so I'm going to leave it in place. And instead of giving you healing, I'm going to give you grace. And it is in the manifestation of that grace that you suffer and you suffer well. Well, 
and a crown of life belongs to you. There is an incorruptible crown that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 9 and it is for running the race, living the life and living it correctly according to the things that God has said. There's a crown of righteousness, the third crown, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, and that is for those who are expecting, living with expectation of the coming of Christ. There's the crown of rejoicing, also called, called the soul winner's crown, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, for winning the lost. Then there is the crown of glory, which is reserved for those in leadership among God's church. And the Bible says for those who are faithful in serving, they will receive a crown of glory. So these are the crowns that God has. But then he mentions this. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. There's an old saying, and many of you have no doubt heard it before. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. The first death occurs as the natural response of the sin of the garden way back. Death will pass upon all men. Adam and Eve, the moment that they took of the fruit of the tree and disobeyed God, they began to die physically, but they instantly died spiritually. Thus there became a need, a need for being born again. A need for a second birth. And without the second birth, we have something called a second death. Just like there is a physical birth, and there must be, to go to heaven and have eternal life, a spiritual birth, so there is a physical death, and without the spiritual birth, there will be an eternal state of death, known as the second death. This is not popular preaching. As a matter of fact, I don't know when the last time you've ever heard a message on the second death would be in your life. I would say to you, I've listened to a lot of preachers over the years, and I, I, I can only think of a very, very few that ever even mentioned this thing of a second death. We'll get to it in more detail as we go through the book of Revelation because the passage I'm about to read follows the great white throne judgment. And the scriptures teach us later in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, beginning in verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. You want a definition of what the second death is? It is the lake of fire. Death and Hades or death and hell are delivered up. To be theologically correct, this is what happens. If you die, and we will die if the Lord tarries and you're not saved, according to the scriptures, because Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the judgment. So we know that eventually, that's where we're headed, guys. We know eventually that's going to happen if the Lord tarries. Isn't that encouraging? Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's going to happen. So we better be ready, am I right? We better be ready. So how do we do that? Well, in Revelation chapter 20, we find out death and Hades. That's death and hell. So theologically speaking, a person that dies here goes into either hell or into the presence of God. Now, it used to be, way back in Luke chapter 16, before paradise was moved, that in the center of the earth there was a place called Sheol. Hades is what it's called in this text. On one side was Abraham's bosom, paradise. On the other side was hellfire. And between the two was a great gulf, a ravine. You could look into hell, but it was dark. 
People in hell could look into paradise and they could see. Thus the rich man who dies and enters into hell looks over into Abraham's bosom and recognizes Abraham and Lazarus. Remember the story? Later paradise would be moved. Paul cited the occasion. He was caught up into the third heaven. What is the third heaven? We have the air that we breathe, the first heaven, where the stars and planets reside, the second heaven, and where God is, the third heaven. So Paul was caught up into the third heaven. And there, in that place, the presence of God is where the souls of people who know the Lord go immediately upon this shell, losing its breath. Upon our death, we go into his presence. We live, the soul lives on, the spirit lives on, with God. So you are either in hell or in the presence of God. What makes the difference? Jesus. Not what church you go to. Not how many good works you've done. There is nowhere in the word of God, there is nowhere where God, it's described that God has these big scales and he puts all of your good works on one side and all of your evil stuff on the other side and he goes by which side outweighs the other. That's foolishness. When it comes to heaven or hell, it is only up to whether you know Jesus Christ as your savior. That is it. Amen. We may not like the teaching on a second death. But the second death is an eternal abode of the lost. It is also the place that was created not for man, but for the devil and his angels, the Bible says. So hell one day will give up those who are in it. They will stand before an almighty God at the great white throne judgment, only to turn and be cast into the lake of fire, which is forever. You say, well, first of all, preacher, a loving God would never do that. Let me tell you what a loving God would do. He'd provide you a way out. Let me tell you what a loving God would do. He would pay the price for you to escape that place. That's what a loving God would do. And that's what a loving God did. For you to treat it as though Jesus Christ did nothing for you. You send yourself into that place. You don't have to go there. I remember I was a little boy, seven years old. I was sitting out in a children's church. It's one of the reasons why my heart goes out to the children's ministry. Sitting out there, seven years old, and the preacher was preaching in the children's church. Man, he was sometimes hard. Grab me in here in the elbow sometime whenever I get bad, you know. And that's painful, brother. That's horrible. We don't do that, by the way. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to believe that I ever got in trouble, but it's true. But I remember him saying something like this. You know, you don't have to go there. I thought, man, if I don't have to go there, I don't want to go there. Amen? Amen. So what do I need to do? Well, you just ask Jesus Christ into your heart. You, you are born again. That's how, that's all you got to do. Jesus said it pretty plainly in John chapter 3 beginning in verse 3 Jesus answered and said most assuredly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered most assuredly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit 
Some people read that and they say, oh, so you've got to be baptized, born of the water. No, no, no. The very first thing that happens when a baby is born, when a, a, a physical birth takes place is a, a mother's water breaks. He's talking about a physical birth. He describes that, actually explains that in the verse we just read. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you must call on Jesus Christ to be your savior. I'll close with this thought. Any of you remember Paul Azinger? Professional golfer. He has an interesting testimony. Several years back now he was diagnosed with cancer. And he began to think about all that he had. All that he'd accomplished. He began to realize it didn't really matter much. He was about to die. That's what he thought. And then he remembered something that the PGA Tour chaplain, one of the Bible teachers, leaders on the, on the tour said, his name was Larry Moody. He made this statement to him. He said, Zinger, you're not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying trying to get to the land of the living. Amen. So let me ask you, do you know the Lord? He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son does not have life, the Scripture says. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I want to do something today that I do not do that often. I want to give you an opportunity to trust Christ right where you sit. If you have listened to what I have said and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and you have not prayed before to ask Jesus to be your Savior, but you understand today you don't want to be a part of that thing called a second death. Instead, you want the second birth. Then I'm going to give you an opportunity. You pray right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. But you just pray right where you are. The Lord knows your thoughts. But you can say it out loud if you want. Sometimes in a setting like this, people do. I'm telling you, you are among friends and you are among people who want you to know Christ as your Savior. And I would ask for those of us that are here today that know the Lord as our Savior to pray for those who may not know. And so if you'd like to go ahead now and make that decision, let me lead you in that prayer. It simply goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I believe you died for me. And I ask you now to come into my heart to be my Savior. To forgive me of all my sin. To give to me eternal life. A home in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, while heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed, I'm going to ask you to do this only if you feel led to do it. That's all. In just a moment, there will be some. There are virtually every service. People come and pray at the altar area. And while they're coming to just pray, if you just prayed that prayer, would you be so kind as to make your way forward and let me know? Just say to me, Pastor, I just prayed that prayer. 
if you'd be so kind to do that and you say, well, I, I don't know about that, Pastor. I'm a little embarrassed. Jesus was never embarrassed about you. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, may God bless you today. Would you stand with me, please? The invitation is open. You pray. You come as God leads. Thank God for helping you get through those trials, those persecutions. Pray for his grace. Whatever that may be, the Lord may lay on your heart. You come. May God bless.